Come on in. Sit back and relax. You're listening to episode 228 of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Iskowitz, founder of Ezra Group Consulting. This podcast is all about the news, information, updates, technology around wealth management. You are going to love this episode. It's our February news, and we've got a lot of stories to cover, so I'm going to dive right in. And plus, we have a special guest. I'm going to tease that. You won't know who it is until until this person comes in later in the program. We've got a lot of stories. Let's see, I got 10 stories, uh, plus our, our, our monthly review of the Advisor Tech map, which you all know and love on Keatsis.com, that I work on with Michael Keatsis, and the Wealth Tech integration scores go along with that. So kicking off our news this month, we have a lot to cover. First is three stories on integrations. We're gonna roll them up together. Um, three firms announced some impressive integrations. And as you know, here at Ezra Group, we love integrations. Bring them on. First one is FP Alpha. FP Alpha announced integration with Orion Advisor. And this new integration pulls client information and data from Orion into FP Alpha, into their general questionnaire that uh, is used to power their tax and estate snapshots. So FP Alpha has a couple different functionalities. They started with estate planning, and they then uh, launched uh, a tax, um, uh, not tax planning, but um, a tax management service uh, that can take in PDFs of your tax returns and provide uh, advice on those. And they have their estate snapshot. Uh, and this integration uh, is a wider trend of prioritizing advisor workflows and focusing the tools which they uh, believe will save some time. They also claim they're incorporating some AI technology. So I haven't got the details on that. Of course, they use some AI in their um, when they're evaluating the PDF files that they're uploading, whether they're estate planning documents or tax returns. There is some natural language processing, OCR, that utilize some uh, AI capabilities there. FP Alpha updated uh, a new suite of estate planning or released a new a suite of estate planning upgrades at the T3 conference last month. Oh, and we're also doing a bit of a T3 update at the end of the news. Now, let's see, um, there were some other integrations from FP Alpha. They've, uh, they've been doing a very good job um, building out integrations. Their most recent one was with Precise FP. Our second integration update is from Tiffin. Tiffin announced integration with Betanext and Franklin Templeton. Now, this is, now Tiffin has a, a number of platforms and products. Now, if you can check out my interview with uh, Vinay, the CEO and founder of Tiffin, a couple episodes ago, that was a really, uh, I think, very interesting and enlightening episode. Now, this is the Tiffin AMP platform, spelled A-M-P, which is their asset management platform, which is now, uh, which can now be leveraged alongside Betanext's data ecosystem. So I was a little confused about how this exactly worked. This collaboration will allow asset managers to leverage Betanext's data ecosystem in cooperation with their wealth management clients. So enabling significantly more precise fund distribution efforts. So I see Beta uh, Tiffin AMP as enabling, giving some advice to uh, asset manager wholesalers and giving them uh, data on the advisors who are using their asset management models and other uh, intellectual property and, and helping them decide which advisors would be best to sell their asset management products to. There are some uh, integration into CRMs and marketing automation systems. And there's a comprehensive platform that combines marketing, distribution, and AI sales support signals. 
Now, I can't speak for how well their AI generates signals, but I've seen a demo of Tiffin Amp. The interface looks really good. I like the user, the UX and experience, and they provide signals that tell the wholesalers, hey, these advisors will be most likely to be interested in the particular uh, strategies that you are selling. Uh, so they believe they're going to transform wholesale distribution efforts into actionable strategies and providing precise insights across various investment products uh, as well. Now, the second part of the announcement is Tiffin and Franklin Templeton. I spelled Franklin wrong. Franklin Templeton, who is a global leader in asset management. Now, they've joined forces to create something called Tiffin at Work, which is a white-labeled solution for plan advisors to deliver an AI-powered actionable advice platform for workplace benefits and financial wellness. That's a um, an industry term we've heard a lot, uh, buzzword, financial wellness. We hear that thrown around a lot, not really sure what it means. Uh, in the past, it had meant some very simple advice, uh, you know, really just uh, algorithmic advice or rules-based advice. Uh, and we, we have built some, we had helped some, some uh, firms build out some of those capabilities over a dozen years ago. And there are more just uh, rules-based where if the if the employee said, hey, I'm, I haven't saved anything for retirement, well, the rule would say you need to save something. So do you have an employee match? Yes, what's the employee match? 6%, you should max. Okay, that's the default. You always want to max your, the recommendation is always to max the, the company match in your 401k. So simple rules like that. What we're seeing now is more, more advanced uh, capabilities, more AI-powered, more machine learning really powered uh, that take more data into account about the employee and give a little bit more precise um, recommendations. Of course, they're calling this uh, a holistic AI-powered platform. I haven't seen a demo of it yet. I'd really like to see how they adjust their benefits to achieve better financial outcomes, better than what we were doing a dozen years ago with just um, some simple rules. Because uh, again, most employees in these types of plans don't have very complex um, financial uh, uh, lives. And even if they did, it's very difficult to to gather that kind of information in these, these uh, financial wellness platforms. But we're still happy to see these type of capabilities being launched. Um, the more options available for corporations and for advisors who service those corporations, uh, we feel is better. Our third integration story uh, of this month is Altruist. Altruist announces six more integration partnerships. Uh, so they came out with a bevy of integrations, including Orion, Redtail, Quanti, Investment Money Guide, Income Lab, and eMoney. So those are new integrations joining their existing integrations. And uh, they're, so say, I guess uh, I'm reading ahead here. Um, so, well, of course, we know the disconnected tech is a massive pain point. We like to see more integration, reducing duplicate data entry, reducing manual recon, reducing inconsistencies that are going to show up in your client reports and billing and make them unhappy. Uh, so these types of integrations are, are well, uh, uh, we're, we're excited to see them. Uh, there wasn't any data on exactly uh, what data they're passing back and forth. Now, that's something that we will dig into in our integration score. So when we update the altruist integration score, which you can find at ezragroup.com. If you go to our website, ezragroup.com, and you click on the menu option, what we do, and then click on Wealth Tech Integration Scores, you can check the score of any company. You can check on Altruist, which I'm doing right now. And once you click that, it'll show you that Altruist has a score of 3.43, 
which is not so great, but this should hopefully increase that score um, with these six integrations. Again, the more the R score is based on the robustness of the integration, not just the raw number. Because as we all know, an integration can be something as simple as a single sign-on is considered to be an integration by some, all the way up to a bi-directional um, embedded widget that would be a, a much more robust and, and a higher scoring integration. All right, so Altrus had a number of other announcements there in September of last year. They eliminated their portfolio accounting software fees for all brokerage accounts. That's nice. I think it was a dollar an account. Still, it all adds up. Uh, the fee reduction and integration follows a larger push from Altruist to reduce friction, another buzzword, reduce friction and improve the user experience. Last year, the company also increased their ACH limits, added reporting tools, and made several UX UI improvements. Uh, there's a couple other things coming down the pike for uh, early this year. They're going to add additional integrations with Smart RIA, Morningstar, and Bile Accounts. So now the um, that's really all I have for integrations. So if you want to look up more information about these companies, uh, you can go to altruist.com, you can go to tiffin uh, tiffin.com, and you can go to fbalpha.com. Now for our next story, Adapar surpasses $5 trillion of client assets. Now, Adapar uh, is a wealth tech provider, uh, mainly reporting solutions when they first started out on data aggregation, but they've since expanded their capabilities tremendously to become basically an end-to-end -end, uh, wealth management platform. Now, Adapar was founded in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis by Joe Lonsdale because he saw the trouble his own family office was having when trying to produce consolidated reports for his non-publicly traded investments. Now, this timing was fortuitous, as a number of trends have pushed more advisors to move beyond traditional stocks and bond portfolios and into alternatives. So first, there was an increase in the number of startups deciding to remain private. Part of that is due to Sarbanes-Oxley in greatly increasing the complexity and costs of going public. And combine that with a steady pace of public companies being taken private, which resulted in a drop in the number of publicly traded companies around. So investment dollars have to go someplace. If public uh, companies aren't available, then it's logical that advisors wanted to get exposure to private companies that would have been public in a private era, in a, in a prior era. Uh, the second trend is one of the driving forces behind the economy shift into private markets was the explosion of private equity, which has attracted an attention of a wider group of investors who are chasing outsized returns. And third, zero interest rate policy or ZERP, which is no longer in existence, but was for you know quite some time, pushed by the Fed after the financial crisis, stayed around for much of the decade of the 2010s, and publicly traded bonds became a drag on portfolio returns. So all this drove more money into alternatives, uh, enter Adapar with an approach which was different at the time, that they wanted to build a platform to track every asset, whereas most wealth management platforms focus just on publicly traded ones that are available at custodians. Uh, Adapar was looking to support basically a wide range of assets that would um, be more likely to be held at higher net worth um, firms and higher net worth clients, including private equity, real estate, plus alternatives, um, credit derivatives, options, foreign equities, private company holdings, you name it. So Adapart did a very good job in building their data feeds 
uh, and building their import routines to gather that information, but also in their front end that enabled uh, advisors to, to view in-depth underlying information about all these assets. They have a lot of customized attributes available for things like private equity, like call dates and call amounts. Um, you know, and the uh, so having that data about those different uh, investments is critical when you're an advisor managing, you know, what could be across dozens or hundreds of investments. So Adipar's reached their five trillion in assets, <laughs> serving over a client over a thousand client firms across more than forty countries, with thirty percent of their clients being outside the U.S. Now they've um, uh, they've got a, a robust set of APIs, which we like. Uh, in a partner ecosystem that allows clients to tailor solutions. Now, uh, out of that five trillion, what did I say? So, sixty percent are in marketable securities, and forty percent are are uh, are alternatives, which um, was surprising to me. I thought it'd be the opposite, but it's those forty percent alternatives and the complexity of them that gives Adapar some of its um, <clears throat> some of its differentiation, as well as the strength of their reporting solutions in that a lot of firms are willing to pay up for out of park because they're more expensive because of how well-designed their reports uh, look. Uh, out of park brings in positions and transactions from more than 7 million accounts across more than 350 global banks and other financial institutions. What's interesting about, what's interesting, what's, what's significant about out of park hitting 5 trillion is it gets them up into the ranks of the top firms in the space. Orion is around four trillion. InvestCloud, which has got the old Pfizer APL platform, is around six trillion, and InvestNet's way over six trillion, probably seven trillion by now. So that puts uh, Invest uh, Adapar into that same category, and that's really what I know as a consultant when we're recommending to clients uh, different platforms, we want to see that the the platforms we're recommending before we recommend them, that they have some heft, they've got some market share. We don't want to be certainly at the first, but even uh, a smaller market share company, we might hesitate uh, before recommending them. So seeing that they've got significant assets is important. Now, there are another couple of things. We've got a number of demos over the years of Adapar. Uh, one of the things I wanted to point out was their ability to support um, multiple legal entities. So you can view a holdings of a client by which ones are in different LLCs. And certainly higher net worth clients might have multiple uh, legal entities like LLCs that are holding different investments, holding companies, trusts, uh, and so forth. Uh, we were uh, monitoring Adapart over time. They've built out their platform, as I mentioned, from just reporting and data aggregation to include proposal generation, billing. They acquired portfolio rebalancing engine advisor peak a few years ago. So they've really got a, a full featured platform. Uh, Adapar has raised over $500 million, over seven investment rounds. The most recent one bringing in $150 million in 2021 from D1 Capital. If you want to learn more about Adapar, go to Adapar with two Ds, A-D-D-E-P-A-R.com. I think we're up to our fifth story, number five, Pantera raises $60 million, bringing their total funding to $160 million. Anonymous source close to the company has valued them at over $500 million. That's half a unicorn. Congratulations, Pontera. Now, this firm was previously known as FIEX. They just changed their name uh, in 2022 and, um, and pivoted. And they refocused from a mark from marketing a platform that serves as a fee comparison tool 
to developing software to help financial advisors manage workplace retirement accounts and other held away assets. That was a brilliant pivot because I wish I thought of it. No one else is doing that. Uh, advisors have always, or some advisors have always given advice on held away assets such as 401ks or other retirement assets, but it's been verbally um, or an email and the, the, uh, the client has had to go in and make the changes. So if the advisor said, you know, I don't like this mutual fund you're in, you should swap it out for this other mutual fund. The client had to go back, or client had to take that information, <clears throat> go to their own account and make those changes. And who knows how often they they would do that or even do it right. So what Pontera does is enables the advisor to log in using the client's credentials and make those changes and do those trades in the client's uh, employer-managed retirement accounts. The firm, uh, according to CEO Yoav Zarel, uh, has their revenue has quadrupled since 2021. They're headquartered in New York, but 65% of their employees are based in Israel. Yes, Herzliya. We love firms based in Israel. Now, they uh, plan to expand their R&D operations in Israel and recruit more people for positions in cybersecurity, software engineering, data analytics and product management all good things to do with money and i wouldn't be surprised if they made an acquisition or two the funding round was led by iconic growth a family office which provides uh, wealth management services to high net worth clients including mark zuckerberg Sheryl sandberg jack dorsey and jeff weiner now some uh, people have complained or or knocked uh Pontera because of the price it's around 30 basis points but if you want this functionality you're gonna have to pay for it there has been also some other issues with regulators um, looking into their use of um, clients' uh, login information. Washington state regulators recently uh, came out saying that Pontera could be breaching their user agreements with the 401k custodians by receiving and holding client logins. Uh, Tennessee regulators also raised concerns. However, I think, I know, uh, according to the article, advisors feel that this potential violation of terms of use concern shouldn't be an issue. And I agree that it's no different in how other popular financial planning and account aggregation tools access these accounts. Everyone is doing this, um, including Morningstar's Bile Accounts, Plaid's, uh, Plaid, eMoney. Uh, you know, so everyone's taking client. I mean, we're, doing, we're seeing less of it. Um, also, InvestNet's Yodely. We're seeing less and less of what's called screen scraping, where they're taking these uh, the the login credentials and logging in directly, and um, there's there's more direct feeds, especially from these data aggregation tools. But it's still being being done. So whether Washington State or Tennessee can actually say anything about it or make any claim make any um, regulations that would block this, we don't know. I think they would have a tough time considering how many other firms are are doing the same thing. Ontario has been. Uh, really knocking it out of the park with integrations and with partnerships, signing up big firms uh, uh, to use their, their platform. They recently signed CapTrust to use their platform for 401k management. CapTrust has over 800 billion in assets, two thirds of it non-discretionary. They're one of the largest retirement plan advisors uh, in the space. Commonwealth Financial recently picked Pontera for 401k management. I spoke with their head of wealth management a couple of days ago. It's not rolled out yet, but they are very excited about it. And a lot of reasons why these broker dealers and very large RIAs are not only excited, um, but looking forward to bringing Pontera is not only to 
make more holistic management and make it easier to to help advisors handle these these uh, 401k and held away accounts. But it's a big revenue increase because you now can charge basis points on these held away assets that are not at your custodium, that aren't under your AUM, but you can charge either. I've seen some advisors do half their um, standard fee or even the full standard fee because now they're directly trading it. What's the difference? Whether you're your, your custody or not, you're still directly uh, managing those assets. So a uh, huge revenue increase for some of these firms. So I'm sure that the, then the 30 basis points doesn't seem so bad when if you're charging 100 uh, on the additional assets or even 60, you're still doubling your, um, you're still making 100% profit on those assets. You can hear more about Pantera on our podcast and on uh, in our blog. We did an article in April uh, when Pantera announced integrations with InvestNet and AssetBook to enable direct trading 401k accounts. That's April. You can check out that article on the Wealth Tech Today blog. And on our podcast, we had Dave Goldman in episode 141 uh, from Pantera. So you can check that out as well or go to Pantera, P-O-N-T-E-R-A dot com. Our next story, I think this is number six. InvestCloud appoints Jeff Yabuki as CEO. If you want to read more about this, check out RIA Biz article. I love their titles. These titles are so long. After three years and $2.5 billion, trying to make an investment killer out of InvestCloud, Motive Partners goes owner-operator when CEO search comes up empty. Man, they just don't mince words in their titles. All right, so InvestCloud is a wealth technology platform that supports over 500 wealth and asset managers globally with more than $6 trillion in assets, both assets under advisement, assets under management. Uh, no, it's all, sorry, it's all asset under, assets under advisement, AUA, across this platform and in services such as UMA estimate portfolio management, trade execution, accounting, model management, performance measurement, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Now, uh, Jeff Ibuki was previously the CEO of Fiserv, a global leader in payments and financial technology, a role he held from December 2005 through June 2020. Now, during Jeff's tenure with Fiserv, he led the company through a, a strategic transformation with significant acquisitions and divestitures, including the $22 billion merger with First Data. Pfizer nearly tripled revenue under his leadership, increased operating margin and earnings, and achieved total shareholder return of almost 1,000% through the end of 2020. Now, what's interesting, um, if, you know, if you pull some of the stuff out of this RIA Biz article, the driving, uh, uh, my friend Andy Bashir was quoted, I'm going to pull out a couple of things that he said about uh, this move. Uh, according to Andy, the driving motive, motive, uh, no pun intended, the driving motive behind putting someone like Yabuki into the seat is that the exit strategy for this business has always been to IPO it. That's been the word on the street. Uh, it might not be a bad strategy, according to Bashir, if one assumes that they're looking to try and make an IPO happen in, say, the next 12 to 18 months to put in an experienced public company CEO with a well-known and successful track record from an investor and analyst perspective. Absolutely true, 100%. I, I see that's why they would do that. Motive Partners and Clear Lake Capital bought 88% of InvestCloud for a billion dollars at the end of 2021. Uh, more from Bashir, what I've heard is that the focus will be on the core business being Tegra, which is the legacy security APL business and managed accounts, um, portfolio accounting and portfolio management, which is a key revenue driver. 
Now, in the article, this is the this is the REA Biz article saying this, putting Rebuki in charge three years after buying InvestCloud and eight months after beginning CEO search looks like plan B or plan C. Uh, once they went through the process of purging the loyalists, uh, purging the previous the founder and CEO, John Weiss, and his loyalists, they realized, according to Bashir, the business was, was actually broken and they had to put some of their own boots on the ground. Now, InvestCloud was supposed to become the epicenter of a more than $2.5 billion roll-up of legacy software firms. They include Security APL, which they acquired from Pfizer for, I think, $600 million for 60% of that business, another billion-dollar valuation business. Uh, they also bought a company called Finantex, which is a higher net worth um, dashboard uh, reporting tool based really more in, in based in the EU. And they bought legacy financial planning software vendor Navaplan and back office software provider, um, self-clearing provider Beta Next from Refinitiv. Now, Beta Next is an interesting business. They've got a huge customer base, some great names, including Ameriprise, LPL, Wells Fargo, Stiefel, Janney, Baird, Wedbush. Uh, even new players uh, such as Entrustity are signing up at Beta Next. And uh, they, uh, from what we've seen, they have a very strong API layer, very good core transactional processing. Um, there aren't a lot of competitors in this space with this depth and breadth of capabilities. You've got FIS, um, their API layer integration is maybe not quite as advanced. They've had some recent issues with conversions, which is not surprising in general. That's not an FIS problem. We've seen conversion when you're converting to self-clearing. No matter what you're using, no matter which vendor you're using, uh, Beta Next, FIS, the other big players, Broadridge BPS, it's complicated. We've done these before, um, and failure it, it can, can is just you know you're you're on the you're on the edge of a, of a precipice the whole time. So I'm not surprised that FIS has had some recent issues. But uh, going self clearing is very attractive to mid-sized broker dealers uh, for the vertical integration and the great economics. They make money on custody, right? So which they didn't have before. It's another revenue stream. And firms like Ray J and LPL are self-clearing. So um, they can bring on RIAs and make money. Whereas other firms, if you're a broker dealer and one of your um if you're if you're a W2 broker dealer and one of your advisors leave to start their RIA, you'll lose money. If you're an IBD and you've got RIAs who are, who are affiliated with you and they decide to go off on their own and, and they don't want to be affiliated with you anymore, you lose the money. But if you have custody, you can kind of keep that and you can launch your own RIA network. As I believe um, firms like Thrivent have done, uh, Ozaic, the former the former advisor group has done this, Satera has done this. They're launching their own RIA networks to try to keep that money in-house. Now, what's interesting also about Beta is it's a very sticky business model. So now this is part of InvestCloud, they own Beta Next. Uh, it's like core banking, so it's similar in that respect. It's the last thing you want to mess with. It's very difficult to get new customers. It's a long, long sales cycle. And it's um, it's hard to, it's a plug and play. You got to unplug someone to plug your system in. So it spins off a lot of cash with good margins, but it's slow growth, probably like single digits. Um, and the revenue is based on trade volume and market cycles. So it's, a, it's a, also a barbell shaped market. They're all really, really large clients or really, really small clients, not much in the middle. So that's the, the beta business. And, and APL is very similar. You know, core portfolio accounting, portfolio management, 
also the last thing you want to mess with mess with very hard to replace long sales cycle difficult to make a case why they need to change uh inertia is a tremendous um uh value of another right, it's a tremendous benefit to the to the established players the incumbents inertia because it's so hard to move off of a portfolio accounting portfolio management platform at this uh the enterprise level when you're talking with these large firms and th and the growth is slow so you know it just seems to me you're buying a bunch of uh well-established but very mature slow growth businesses with long sales cycles that's not a business that you that that's it's going to be easy to IPO and convince people to buy into, right? Not that they're bad businesses, they're good, but where's the, where are you going with it? How are you going to goose this revenue? How are you going to double triple the revenue on these companies? And I think that's the problem that these firms have had when they acquired them that they thought they could simply come in and double triple revenue, which is really what you want to do. Is you're going to be paying those kind of multiples, you know, billions of dollars. You want a return, and it's difficult to do. You know, this is what we do all day at Ezra Group. We do, um, we have, um, just full disclosure, before InvestCloud acquired, before Motive acquired um, uh, the Fiserv APL, security APL business, which eventually became Tegra 118, we had done a lot of uh, consulting for that business on strategy. So we know a lot about the platform. We had, we had done deployments of APL at numerous broker dealers, both deployments to and blend deployments from. So we go both, we'll go in either direction, uh, whichever our, we think is best for our clients. Sometimes we to APL is great. Sometimes they don't like APL and they want to move away from it to something else. Happens all the time. So we know a lot about it and it's a long process. It's not easy to do and it costs millions of dollars for these larger companies. And um, so seeing Jeffy Buchan come in, we hope that he has great success. It's going to be difficult, especially after the whole management team was fired, right? You don't, that does not happen. Certainly not in our business, but in almost in no business, uh, especially a company that's been around for over 10 years, you know, 15 years, uh, and, and had all this money invested in them that they just shoot the entire executive team, six people out the door at the same time. That, I mean, I don't, I don't have any details or insider information. If I did, I couldn't tell you because we're still under NDA from, you know, working with these guys years ago. But the uh, it doesn't bode well. That doesn't say, hey, we had a disagreement about stat, about your priority or about your your strategy. That tells you something else was going on. I don't know what it is, but it's not good. So Jeff's got a a hard job ahead of him. He's uh, I know they've had a number of layoffs re, uh, last year and the year before. A lot of people were let go. We get when, soon as, whenever there are layoffs, no matter what company it is, we get calls here at Ezra Group because uh, we know everyone. I have a lot of friends who were there and who were laid off. People I know, uh, we brought on some of them uh, uh, into our firm to help with some other projects. So, you know, in, in some respects, we're happy when they're laying people off, but it's never happy when you get laid off. And also, <clears throat> those businesses require people to run. And you're laying off, I know people that, uh, I know the people they laid off were ones with serious institutional knowledge. Uh, the ones who know where the bodies are buried and know how these platforms work. So uh, it seems like Yabuki might be uh, inheriting uh, a skeleton company where he's got to build it back up from scratch and quickly if they're expecting to IPO at any time soon. But that's my long-winded explanation uh, description of our uh, opinion on, on this particular story. Again, go to riabiz.com to read more about uh, that story or go to investcloud.com to find out more about their products and services.
Uh, Flourish, annuities platform. Flourish platform launches, uh, aims at $350 billion annuities market. So Flourish, which uh, was originally called Flourish Cash, has now launched an annuities platform. They also have a crypto platform. Um, so their aim is not only to provide a marketplace of fee-based annuities for fiduciary RAs, but also to solve for the operational challenges of implementing annuities and their notoriously burdensome paperwork through streamlined and automation of application processes. So we like what Flourish is doing here. Uh, they've built a number of successful businesses. Their Flourish cash management platform is very successful with, I believe, thousands of RIAs uh, using it um, to be able to, do, to deliver better interest rates to their clients by automatically moving money between different bank accounts and also breaking it up into smaller chunks to uh, take advantage of FDIC insurance. So that platform is doing well. And annuities was something they wanted to get into to make it easier to acquire um uh, for ours to acquire news because it is so notoriously hard. While there are companies like uh, DPL that automate and outsource the acquisition of annuities, there is still uh, some opportunities for firms to uh, build tools that enable RIAs to directly acquire annuities cheaper, um, more streamlined, more transparently. Now, InvestNet also has their insurance marketplace which uh, connects advisors with annuity carriers and providers. So there's a lot of, of, of opportunity there for advisors to be able to bring annuities into their platforms, be more holistic, offer these tools. I know the uh, uh, financial planning software applications, all the top three, uh, Money Guide, eMoney, and Right Capital, all show um, forward projections of how an annuity could help clients close um, some expense gaps in retirement uh, and being able to connect those to actually buy the annuities inside the same process, I think, is the next step, which is going to give firms like InvestNet a leg up since they've got the insurance marketplace, they've got Money Guide, so you can plug those all in together uh, and do that acquisition. So Flourish is looking to, to get a piece of this as well. So you can find out more about Flourish at their website, which I believe is flourish.com. Before I say that, let me double check. Yes, flourish.com is the website for their cash management and their crypto and their annuities platform as well. Okay, next up uh, on the news is Right Capital launches something called Right Flows. Now, Right Flows of Right Capital is uh, one of the top three financial planning software vendors. Their market share has tripled since 2020, uh, becoming one of the top three right behind um, eMoney and Money Guide Pro. Now, this Right Flows is a workflow tool that allows direct client collaboration, claiming to help advisors manage and assign steps in the financial planning process to team members and clients. So this could be a powerfully tailored workflow tool, but do advisors really need another workflow tool? when there's already other things within the CRM and other, other tools? Will other tools just copy and create their own embedded workflows? So here to talk more about this is an expert on workflows and ex expert on RIA uh, technology and operations. It's Kristen Schmidt from RIA Oasis. Hey, Kristen. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm glad you could be here. Uh, we haven't talked uh, on the podcast in a long time. So we're talking now, you're joining us for the news, and this story is uh, Right Capital launches something called Right Flows, a new feature. 
So uh, what do you think are right flows? What's your thought about that? Oh, so many thoughts. First of all, um, congratulations to Right Capital for building something um, after reviewing it and playing around with it. Building something that is finally easy to use and makes sense to advisors. So I think on behalf of all of us everyday users and people who have to train others in how to make this sticky inside your firms, I think it's a great tool. I think there's a bigger conversation that all of us are probably having between amongst ourselves about, well, gosh, where do I do workflows? Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest challenge mm -hmm. because as you know, I'm a CRM implementer and expert and best practice person. And it's kind of what you know runs through my veins. And so in my world, if it's not in the CRM, it didn't happen. So if you play off of that theory or that mantra for a second, it gets a little challenging when we start thinking about a financial planning system that has workflows. Possibly firms are using uh, workflow tools like Hubly. Well, now my workflow is in a different system. We have firms that are sometimes um, going to Asanas or project management tools. So I think that it adds another layer of where do I write my workflows? So I think that's the bigger conversation for me and that I'm having with a lot of advisors. Mm -hmm. I think the other piece of it is, even if you write the workflows and you feel organized, here's our new financial planning workflow and it's in right capital as an example. I think the challenge is all the tasks that you're telling people to do, you're telling your financial planners to do this and your client service people to do this, all those tasks, the to-dos are in right capital. But I also have a bunch of other stuff I need to do and that's in my CRM. <laughs> so I think there's a challenge for RAs to manage all the things I'm supposed to do and be accountable for it all. And we like having that in one system and technology today on the RA side is struggling to give us that. Um, I'll give you a good example. Like, why do you think it's struggling? It's a struggle because, in, in, in my opinion, all of these technologies want you living in their systems. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame them. They built something and they want you to be inside it. And that makes sense. But when it comes to the daily events that's happening in your RIA, the challenge is, um, number one, I don't live in one system all day. And number two, I need to run reports telling me what everybody is doing, needs to do, or already did. Right? I don't want to run reports in four systems. So what do we end up doing? Exporting, putting it in Excel, screenshotting. Um, that's what a lot of our client service people are doing for our advisors and planners on a literal daily, sometimes twice daily basis. I'll give you an example. Hubbly, great workflow tool. I am a huge advocate for it in the sense of making workflows simple and the visual is beautiful. It's color coded. It's simple. It's uh, siloed. Great. Um, I often say it has that visual of, if you remember Trello, you had oh, boxes, yeah. you have things everywhere. Con it's the great. Kanban board. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's a lot of how people need to see things to take action or know where they're at in a process. Love it. The challenge is the integration into CRM, such as Redtail or Wealthbox. The integration, all that it does, <laughs> it links your records together. So your mm -hmm. client records are linked together, which is great. But when it comes to those workflow tasks, it's all in Hubly. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. After the workflow is fully completed, Publi sends a note to Wealthbox and Redtail that says this workflow was completed. So the integration is lackluster in a sense of the everyday things we need to do. If you're an RA using Hubly and Redtail or Wealthbox, your staff are using two systems to manage what they have to do. And that's the challenge that a lot of firms are facing. So when then let's take it another level and say, I'm talking to executives of large firms that are saying, I would like a dashboard. We're all using that phrase lately, right? I want a dashboard. I want to see everything that's currently in progress. I want to see things that are overdue or pending. And I want to give credit to people for all the things they did. I also want to see if my staff is at capacity, hmm. right? So for example, my, my assistant, Sarah, says she's really overwhelmed. She has a lot of work to do. I want to quantify that. Let's look at all these things we assigned her. Is she really at capacity, right? It means you run two reports every single time and you try to morph them together in their priority and their status. And it's possible, firms are doing it today and it's very possible, but it means you need more humans and more attention to detail every day. So coming back to Right Capital, I think that it's a great tool and idea, but I think there's still work to be done with firms who want to adopt that. Where does the workflow live? Where do the tasks live? And how do we meld that together to see it all in one place? And that's still a, a to be determined, I think, in the scope of where RA PAC is today. And what I do every day in helping these firms gather all of that and create efficiencies. So Wright Capital is claiming that they're the first financial planning workflow tool. Is that true? I mean, do you think that's that is correct? That is correct. So, and that's where this can also get a little bit confusing. Um, mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. E-Money has allowed tasks to sync to and from their system. So for example, they have an integration with Redtail where you can have activities sync in. You also are allowed any money to task your clients if you want. There's a lot of controversy over that, to be fair, about whether we want to actually send our clients a task or politely ask them to do something in an email, right? Yeah. Um, I think it takes a certain personality of a client to not take offense to being tasked. Some mm -hmm. clients say, oh, this was great. I didn't have to remember anything. It's all there. And other clients say, hmm. I feel like that's what I'm paying you for, right? Can you imagine <laughs> right. if your doctor gave you a task, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a there's a balance, but eMoney has always had those features. Right Capital is allowing these workflow tasks to be seen or assigned to your end client if you want, which then makes clients and advisors more sticky to that client portal. Um, but the actual flow being written in a financial planning tool, yes. No other financial planning tool has that today. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I hear you. I'm just going to say that's because traditionally, and I think um, best practice is workflows live in the CRM, not mm -hmm. in your ancillary tools, because I can't help but think, okay, well, now I want to be in my estate planning tool. Do I need an estate planning workflow in my tool? And now I've, you know, now I'm going to work in my tax planning tool. Do I, are workflows going to live there? And now let's say Craig Iskowitz is my client. We're working on estate planning. We're helping him with tax analytics and his, we're opening 529s for his kids. I've got workflows in three places. Someday, you know, I say with a question mark at the end, 
So I think that's actually the challenge is I love that right capital is encouraging firms to be process driven and to say, what are we doing in right capital for Mm -hmm. our clients? That makes sense. And I'm pushing clients to do that all the time when I'm working with RIAs, but (laughs) there's a bigger world out there of all the things we do Mm -hmm. beyond just the financial plan. Yeah, and I get when you say that all vendors want you to live in their tool. I wrote this article, wrote an article about that probably eight years ago now, that every application wants to be the hub. They want to be the central location for all of your activities. But as you said, things are spread out, and it's hard to, to you just can't stay in one thing all the time because you've got data spread across multiple applications. Absolutely. And if we're really going to break it down, it's because we're not offering one service in which our business would live in that tech. Okay. If you are investment management centric, you're still living in three or four systems. But if we're being honest, you're really living in your portfolio management system that has a trading and rebalancing tool. At the end of the day, that's your core system. It's your hub, right? But what about firms that are often offering financial planning, like I said, estate planning, tax planning, um, you know, health planning, right? Life planning. There's, you know, the consultant words are, to be (laughs) honest, they all mean the same thing, but we're offering different services. So Mm -hmm. it's funny you say that because in the article that you did eight years ago, it has a lot of relevance to that's why we need all-in-one systems, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And that's also why these all-in-one systems, um, in fact, I, I just wrote this note knowing that we were talking today and I, I wrote, all-in-one is really struggling to be defined. Hmm. Well, hold and, up. That's a whole nother yeah. article I want to write. And you're right. Sorry. Whole nother podcast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do that at the, <laughs> another time. But yes. so I want to I wrap this by saying that uh, people can find more information about Right Capital's right flows by going to rightcapital.com. And we're going to take a break and go to another article. And I'm going to bring you back. We're going to talk about uh, the T3 conference later. Sounds good. Okay, we're getting towards the end of the news. Uh, next story, we're going to be talking a bit about uh, the T3 Insight Information Advisor Software Survey for 2024 which uh, is an annual survey run by uh, T3. Uh, Joel Bruckenstein uh, partners with Bob Vires uh, on that survey every year. And it was released at the T3 conference last month in Las Vegas, which happened to be the 20th anniversary of the T3 conference. Uh, if you want to download a free copy of this survey, you can go to t3technologyhub.com. And I'm bringing back special guest, Kristen Schmidt, to talk about some of our thoughts about the survey and some of her thoughts about the survey. We use this survey a lot at Ezra Group in our mm-hmm. research, you know, because we get hired by um, a lot of uh, wealth tech vendors to help them with strategy, help them with competitive analysis, to help them with a go-to-market strategy. And we reference the T3 survey uh, a lot for different areas because it's, it's directionally accurate, I think, in terms of a lot of which way the market is going around different technology, even though it isn't mm-hmm. statistically, you know, uh, scientifically, doesn't follow statistical methods because they're not going yeah. out and saying, we're going to we're going to find the participants. They let anyone respond, then they try to clean it up. Right. Um, so, but it's still, I think, a very useful 
um, data point in an industry that lacks a lot of good data. So uh, you. we're Kristen, craving it. All right. So now, uh, Krista, what are your thoughts on the survey? I think we need to make sure we ground ourselves with who's responding to the survey, right? And what is the scope of the type of business that they have? Because a lot of times when advisors and planners are looking at a survey, I always give the tip and say, where are you in these responses? Mm -hmm. There's nothing worse than comparing yourself to a firm that is bigger than you, smaller than you, or doesn't offer services like you do. So if we go, you know, real simple, there was close to 3,000 people that responded to the survey. And I think that, like you said, we're craving data. So it's a lot. It's great to see. Um, I think when they try to break down who's responding, they had two factors that I think are really good benchmarks. One is the revenue of the firm. So 25% of, of these respondents had revenue of $500 million or under. Um, 20- Sorry, say it again. 500000 I fucked it up a second time <laughs> because I had my million in there. Poor Alana. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, you can just keep Why? going next time. You don't have to start over again. We can just say you made a mistake and edit. And we start that sentence again. 25% of firms that responded had $500,000 in revenue or under. And then you have another 20% of firms that responded that had anywhere between $500,000 to a million dollars in revenue. So I think that's a good benchmark for advisors and planners who are looking at this data to really say, is this me and is it representing me? Um, also the type of firm, 56% of firms that res- uh, people that responded were a part of a fee only firm and about 40%-ish were duly registered. So I think it's fair to say that when you are an independent RAA or you're a hybrid RAA, a lot of you are represented uh, within this survey for sure. Um, there is an area, as they start to break down all of the questions they ask and what it means when they get all of their results, they call something market utilization. And I thought that was an interesting term, Craig, right? And so to me, what that means is how much are firms utilizing this? And I always like to remind people, just because you own a license for technology does not mean you're utilizing it to its best capability. How many times do you and I hear as we're working with clients in different projects that they say, well, we have a license or we have a couple licenses, but we only use it once in a while or we haven't used it in a long time. So I think the utilization factor of where they're trying to identify how much is a firm using their technology, it's a little, it can be a little interpretive. Um, where they noted some rises in that utilization is estate and tax, which I think is are some really good points. We're seeing estate planning technology tools as well as tax planning tools being utilized a lot more. Why are we seeing that? Because firms are broadening their services to try to bring value to their clients. Back in the day, we used to just do investment management and walk in with our performance reports, and it's not enough anymore. Right. And when you state the fact of, I do wealth management, people on the street don't know what that means. They need Mm -hmm. more tangible. So we're starting to see advisors say the core offerings that I offer to my clients are investment management, financial planning, and those might even be switched. They might be financial planning centric. And then 
There's what I like to call the a la carte services, depending upon their needs. And so that's why that technology, I think, is really taking off. Interestingly enough, there's some declines that were stated in T3 survey. Now, the declines are less than 10% as I give you a little bit of a list. But as a, I work in all areas of tech, but as a CRM expert, I was surprised to see that CRM was in the list of a little bit of, of uh, decline. Along with risk, that doesn't surprise me. And on your side of things, Craig, lead capture and digital marketing had a percentage decline, which I thought was interesting. Have you seen that? Yeah, I think it's the idea of utilizing tools for your own lead capture and digital marketing. And I will say on my side, I'm getting less inquiries about firms interested in leveraging the tools or finding new tools to do that. Hmm. I think that firms are still relying a lot on organic growth or mergers and acquisitions in order to grow. And that lead capture and digital marketing tends to take kind of a third seat in order of how they're approaching it. Now, there are a lot of successful firms that have great digital marketing and lead and, and lead processes. But when it comes to deploying separate tools for that, it's a lot of work and upkeep and sometimes doesn't hit the budget or people resources that are needed. Do you see that in, in what you're working on? You know, I think it might be the difference in the size of the firms we work with. So mm -hmm. we work with broker-dealers and enterprise RIAs, where I think you're more the mid-tier RIAs. So, Correct. And, it, and it's, it's um, I think it's a difference in how they market. That larger mm -hmm. firms, true, true, they also do M&A, but once you get past a certain size, you, and Michael Keats's point has pointed this out, in his, um, he did a couple of talks last year that I, that I caught around on advisor marketing and how at some point you can't scale with referrals anymore. You have to yeah. go to a, a strong dollar-based marketing plan, which has to have some sort of digital um, capabilities. So I think for the larger firms, they are definitely still interested in some sort of digital marketing tools, whereas smaller firms, maybe not so much. I would agree. I also think that there are some smaller or mid-sized firms, especially you're absolutely right, the firms that I work with as well. Um, it's scary to put something like that in place because mm -hmm. you have to have the staff and the processes in place to receive all those leads and to receive mm -hmm. all of the attention you get from digital marketing. So sometimes it's almost to catch 22 for these firms where they say, we would love to deploy a tool to help us do this. But once those leads start coming in, we don't have the manpower or the workflows and processes to drive the efficiency to get all these people talked to and onboarded and you know feel the love that they deserve from our firm. So I think lead capture and digital marketing requires firms to make sure that they have their business running like a well-oiled machine. And a lot of the larger firms have worked out those kinks put yeah. the right people in place and put the money into the people in the process to be ready for the influx. And there's nothing worse than being a firm who, who is ready on the front end, but isn't ready on the back end. Oh yes. Yeah. And we see that a lot as well. Uh, again, we're not a marketing firm either, but we're, we're a technology and operations firm and we help um, mm -hmm. these companies figure out how to handle that data. They've got to do the strategy, what their marketing strategy is going to be, what their marketing content is going to be. But, Getting the data is something we do. Building yeah. building those systems 
and building those connectivities and those integrations. As you said, the leads come in, the prospects come in, where are they going? How are you tracking them? Yeah. And then how do you convert that a prospect into a client? Is that a smooth process? Um, is it, It's smooth if it's already in the CRM. A lot yeah. of firms have a separate database for their marketing systems. So if you have digital marketing, they have one database of prospects that they're sending out emails to or pushing content to or tracking. If it's a more complex marketing platform, like a HubSpot or SharpSpring or, or something similar, that's got its own CRM and database built in that you're working with. And that, that may be better for some firms because that's a very different CRM process, marketing CRM versus advisor CRM, right? An advisor has a very different interaction with a client, mostly it's clients it's, and you know some prospects obviously, but whereas the marketing people are only talking to prospects. Absolutely. And then when do they cross over, right? So we have those conversations all the time of, I call it, when are they advisor CRM worthy, right? So what's that qualification point or what's that marker where they now move into that system versus the opposite would be those leads that we have, they're cold leads, we're dripping on them, but they're not taking any action and they haven't shown any interest. They're not doing the clicks. So I agree with you. It's it's a very challenging effort, although it can be exciting for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, another area of the survey um, talks, which this is usually the most interesting for me, which is satisfaction. And I will mm-hmm. tell you, most advisors and planners, if you're reading this, any of these surveys, and I think we need to give credit to other people, you know, Michael Kitsis does his as well. Um, and there's other surveys that do come out throughout the year. The custodians also do great jobs of giving their market analysis by surveying advisors. But at the end of the day, we're reading this stuff because we want to know who's happy and where are they happy, mm-hmm. okay? So who likes their CRM? And if they like their CRM, maybe I'll like that CRM, mm-hmm. which by the way, that's not a thing, okay? <laughs> Just because you like something does not mean I will like something. And if everyone is who's a- listening, just so you know, yeah, just so you know, that's not that's a thing. Not a right? thing. And it's not. Um, you have a very high chance of liking a lot of things about technology that other people use. But will you be happy enough to move everything out of one house into another? Probably not. And so when we talk about satisfaction, I think there's so many variables that go into it, it's hard to quantify. So I think this survey actually proves that point because satisfaction rates barely changed, not even more than half a percent within the past two years, which Mm -hmm. I think you could look at that a couple of ways. One is nobody is skyrocketing with their satisfaction. Now, Mm -hmm. surprise, nobody's ever happy in our industry with their tech. It's a hard space to be because Mm -hmm. everybody wants different things. So you could look at it very positively and say, yeah, but it didn't go down any either, right? Mm-hmm. It stayed even keeled and um, every tech you know, vendor is at least doing the bare minimum. I mm-hmm. think the challenge with satisfaction in ratings is everyone is dissatisfied for different reasons. So I think if we were truly gonna do a survey, what I would love to do someday is mm-hmm. to do a satisfaction only survey to really dig into the whys. And is it a tech issue or is it a business issue for for these advisors? And start really to figure out how could the tech help you with your dissatisfaction? 
Um, because I think that's ultimately, I mean, to be honest, as a consultant, that's why I have a job, right? They're not happy or they're not moving forward. Therefore, we must change something. It's mm-hmm. very easy to point at the iPhone, my computer, my camera. It's very easy to point at, at the physical things. Mm-hmm. But I think when you look in the mirror, sometimes it also has to do with your people, change management, and your processes. So satisfaction is a tough one. They touch on it in here, but yeah. I have a dream of wanting to do more satisfaction ratings in the industry oh. that are more towards challenge. But my comment there, this is a, this is a secret. This is a consulting secret. I really shouldn't be saying this. <laughs> uh oh. So here it's so everyone take note. This is a consulting secret for every RIA and broker dealer out there. Whatever technology you buy, you're not going to be happy with it after you buy it. Most likely. There it is. <laughs> because once you phone. buy it, <laughs> then the shine is off the Apple. The, you're not looking at yeah. it anymore. You're, you're you're realizing you find data you didn't know you had that, that the system doesn't work with. You find processes you didn't know you had that the system doesn't support. You realize that you have the rule of thirds with your advisors and your, op- your operations team which is true with any technology or, or any change in any business generally, but mm-hmm. we use it for technology, third, a third, a third, a third of the people are going to love it. So happy you changed. A third of the people are going to hate it. Can't believe you changed. And a third are sort of, eh, whatever, we'll do whatever. So you have to go after those third in the middle, win them over to your side. So you got two thirds and then beat up the one third remaining that they either get on board or get out, like get them on the bus or get them out. And I'm serious about that because if they're still there and they hate the system, they're going to sabotage you and and you know, it's not going to work and you're going to be wasting a lot of money. And Kristen's nodding her head. Uh, she's seen this before. <laughs> oh, it's spot on. Get the right people are, us. No, absolutely. I mean, we could talk about that for a whole nother, a whole nother session, Make right? Note, but that's I think a whole nother article. The, the, it is. It's a whole nother article. But I think also the people who are shopping are not the people using it every day. So I think, you know, one golden nugget to give RAs and owners of businesses, I think, is all of your users or at least a core team that samples different areas of your business. So a financial planner, an advisor, a client service person, an operations person, they all need to be telling you what they like and don't like. And they all need to be a part of that buying process because how they use it often defines those thirds that you just talked about. Um, and besides that personality, right? People don't, don't like change. Um, it is a change management uh, project, not just a, te- a tech project, if we're being fair with ourselves. You so, said a mouthful um, there, Kristen. And we got to wrap. This, this segment's already 20 yeah. minutes long. Thank you for being of here, course. Kristen, we're, uh, to talk about the T3 tech survey. As I mentioned, uh, to the T3 Insight Information Software Survey go to t3technologyhub.com to download this free survey. Thanks again, Kristen. Really appreciate being here. Thank you. All right. We're up to one of my favorite parts of the news. It's the advisor tech map and integration scores. We're going to talk, go through quickly some of the applications that were added to the Keatsis Ezra Group advisor tech map that I work on with Michael Keatsis. Um, every month we meet and we look at the queue of applications and vendors that want to be added to the map. Some make it and some don't. And just so you know, uh, if you're out there and you want to be on the map, um, you can you can do that. You want to send um, your email not not just to me. I mean, you can you can copy me, but I'm not directly the person who 
updates the map, uh, you want to send it to Erica Mito. So if you at her, and she's Erica at Keatsis.com if you want to be added to the map. Uh, then Michael and I will review it and decide whether you got the map or not. And firms that if you if you don't sell software, if your business is not, if your money revenue generating part of your business is not software, you're probably not going to get on the map. I'm not saying you won't, but it's unlikely because the map is designed for independent financial advisors to pick software. So you want to compare software versus other software. And we do get firms like if you're a TAMP, you're not going to get on this map. There will be other maps or TAMPs. If you are running a marketplace, either like an alternative investment marketplace, you're not going to get on the map. It's not for it's not for marketplaces. It's not for TAMPs. If you are a service company, if you do trusts and wills as a service, for example, or estate planning as a service, that's how you make money. And you also have software, not going to get on the map. All right. That's the disclaimer before we start. Looking at companies that did get on the map and will be on the map for the March uh, version. Boosted.ai is going in the investment analytics uh, analytics category. Uh, pretty straightforward, nice, clean design, drilling down into different equities. Looking, they've got some, um, they've got, besides just the standard uh, fundamentals and, uh, and charting, they also have some pros and cons that they've put in there uh, about the particular stock, you know, strong product and service or decrease in total net sales as a con, for example. So another tool in the already crowded investment analytics category, Boosted, B-O-O-S-T-E-D dot A-I. And my prediction is they will lose the dot A-I at some point because it's just overdone. Next up, Life Hub. Uh, Life Hub uh, is at, uh, I'm sorry, this is a, um, Income Labs. Income Labs uh, has a new product called Life Hub that is a one-page interactive dashboard of a client's financial picture. Um, they've already got um, one um, logo on there as well, but they're going to get another one, I believe, uh, on the map. So uh, you can check them out at IncomeLaboratory.com forward slash Life Hub. Next up is Jump jumpapp.com and this is another client meeting organization tool we're seeing an explosion of those lately uh they are going to go into the i think the client meeting uh client meeting support category they allow you to turn conversations into tasks and notes and compliance records they claim they've got ai as does everyone now uh that's table stakes pretty much um, they think they can save time organizing meeting reviews. Uh, so you can check them out at jumpapp.com. Next up is Jacoby, also in the investment analytics category. Technology for multi-asset portfolio design, analytics, and client engagement. Okay, it's Jacoby with an I. J-A-C-O-B-I strategies, one word, dot com is their website. They target asset managers, investment consultants, asset owners, and wealth managements. Wealth can't talk today. Wealth managers and RIAs. So that's just one of the um, cl target client segments they support. Again, clean design. What you would what you would expect from investment analytics on equities, risk and return objectives, risk factors, stress testing, cont contribution to volatility by asset class, contribution to volatility by risk factor. I'm just looking at some screenshots here. So you can check 
them out. All right, finally, another something that's not going into investment analytics. Powder, sales enablement. In the new category we created a couple months ago called sales enablement. Powder, F-I, P-O-W-D-E-R, F-I.com. AI sales, let's talk, AI. AI sales co-analyst for wealth advisors. Drive a collaborative and efficient proposal with your prospective clients. So they've got proposal generation, uh, automate uh, data gathering, demonstrate value, accelerate conversion, speed up your workflow with institutional-grade AI. Not sure how those two are related. AI doesn't necessarily speed up your workflow. Um, automate laborious, uh, laborious, laborious data gathering. That we like. There's always uh, opportunities for, for data gathering, demonstrating value, accelerate conversions. So uh, they've got pricing plans. Looks like it starts at $200 a month per user for the basic uh, platform. Powderfi.com in the sales enablement category. And are we done yet? No, we got a couple more. Thin space. And that's, I'm sorry, fin pace. F-I-N-P-A-C-E. Automation for financial advisors. Now I don't have where they're going. I'm guessing this is going in workflow. Um, where are we here? We want the um, my list of vendors that are going in FinPace. Uh, FinPace is going into, it doesn't say, but I'm guessing they're going into, um, you know how tedious managing customer relationships, onboarding and compliance can be. FinPace automates a heavy lifting of these tasks, freeing you for better things. Automation beats workflows. So I'm guessing it's a workflow management tool. Uh, onboarding, getting gathering data, uh, so there you go. So that's where FinPace will be. Next up, due diligent works. Due diligence works. Just like it's spelled, just like it sounds. Due diligence works.com. It's a long name, but at least it's exactly what they do. And this is compliance. Pretty straightforward. Um, they uh, are making some waves in the industry. Uh, due diligence works is... Uh, they've got some some a pretty decent product. Uh, they've also been doing some some hiring as of late. Uh, they've got Reg BI tools, ERISA 401k rollover tools, Reg Tech tools. So they've got a lot going on there at DueDiligenceWorks.com, and uh, they're going into the compliance category. Um, and just since they hired Kevin Hughes, uh, my good friend Kevin Hughes, formerly longtime employee over at uh, leader over at Money Guide Pro. Uh, he's now the Chief Growth Officer for Due Diligence Works. Congrats, Kevin. Guys are doing really well. All right, next up is uh, Equilar. E-Q-U-I-L-A-R. Equilar. And they are going to the prospecting category. This is a new category we added uh, a couple of months back because there are just too many tools that are really just prospecting tools. And we had dumped, we had, I think we were lumping them into the category of digital marketing when they really should be in a separate category. And another thing to, to know about the map, uh, we get the question all the time, when do we create new categories and why? And it's usually when there's enough vendor, enough new products that they stick out from an existing category. And the minimum number is three. 
That's the number Michael and I have agreed on. So you gotta have three, have to have three products. Although I see there's already another one that's here for two, but we said three would be when we were creating new categories. So when there's an existing category like digital marketing that has three um, applications that are in prospecting, at least, boom, that becomes a new category. Now we have prospecting under business development. You can see it's in the upper right-hand corner of the map under business development, which is orange. Uh, prospecting, then below that, advisory gen, then below that, digital marketing, and then sales enablement. So Equilar, E-Q-U-I-L-A-R, under prospect, another prospecting tool. A lot of these tools, I mean, I'm not sure how, how many more of these tools we can support, but they're all out there looking for money, money in motion. When um, people get equity awards, their compensation changes, they sell a company. Now, I can't imagine if I ever saw Ezra Group, how many emails and LinkedIn messages I'm going to be getting from advisors who are using all these tools and just going to swamp me with, hey, come over, uh, talk to me about whatever you got going on. So I'm not sure how successful all these, all, all these different tools can be, but they seem to have some nice interfaces. They're pulling a lot of data. Uh, hopefully with the AI they're using, they can figure out how to form uh, good LinkedIn messages, good emails, cold emails and cold LinkedIn messages that could get these people to um, at least have a conversation with the advisor. So that's where I see AI being able to provide some value here. All right, moving on, Pure Facts. Pure Facts uh, is a Canadian-based company that uh, has done some acquisitions. They recently acquired Extiva, which is a US-based firm that offers advisor competition systems. And Pure Facts' main solutions are around fee billing. So I believe they are in the fee billing category. Yep. So that's Pure Facts uh, in advisor fee billing. They've got, again, most of their clients are in Canada, but they're looking to, to uh, break out into uh, more into the US. And they signed a big deal with Pershing. The Wove platform will be using Pure Facts as their billing solution. So that's a pretty good vote of confidence for Pure Facts. And again, they are, they are at Pure Facts. Yeah, not P-U-R-E-F-A-C-T-S dot com. All right. Close this and close this. Are we done yet? We got some more here. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Finney. F-I-N-N-Y. Finney AI. Whoa, another AI name. Finney AI. F-I-N-N-Y-A-I dot com. Another prospecting tool. Take the guesswork out of prospecting. Prospect prioritization. Similar to Catchlight, prospect identification, customized outreach campaigns. So, so I got some marketing there. Uh, and you can, another prospecting tool, Finney, F-I-N-N-Y-A-I.com. Oh boy, we got some more here. This is a big month. Philanthropo, philanthropo, can't even say this. Philanth, philanthropo, sorry about that. <laughs> sorry, philanthropo, you got to get a name that's easier to say. P-H-I-L-A-N-T-H-P-R-O, Philanthpro, not my first choice of names, but uh, philanthropic, uh, it goes under specialized planning, other, uh, uh, charitable. So that's where we're putting Philanthpro. Yeah, so we don't have a, char we don't have a charitable giving um, category yet, maybe one coming soon, because there's also Charity Vest as well, um, but again, it's only two. We want to have three, but 
I guess uh, we'll have a third one at some point and we'll have a charity specialized planning. Uh, so they're bringing the power of planning to your philanthropic clients. Philanthro. Okay. And okay, we're at the end. The last one, Tiffin AG, another Tiffin application. And it is also in prospecting. Less art, more science. Delivering enriched data for actionable intelligence using proprietary algorithmics and AI. They bring in data together, organize it, engage it, plug it into your CRM. You can score your prospects, also similar to Catchlight, CRM integration. Uh, you can do some influencing with them, content for them. Yeah, another another uh, prospecting tool. We're loaded with prospecting tools this month. Tiffin AG. Uh, it's T-I-F-I-N-A-G as in George.com. You can check them out. All right, that's it for the map. Um, all of those applications will be available. Um, whether we'll have their integration scores on EzraGroup.com. You can check out um, the integration scores for all of those companies as well. And if you are a company, uh, a vendor, an application vendor in our space, and you're on the map, uh, and you have a score that's at least six or higher, please reach out to us. We've just launched the Wealth Tech as a group, Wealth Tech Integration Score Recognition Program. We are offering uh, badges that you can put on your website and other marketing materials to certify that Ezra Group has validated your integration capabilities. Uh, plus there's a lot more. We're going to be doing um, a quarterly conferences and having a lot of other research available to firms that sign up for the Wealth Tech Integration Score. Please contact us at consulting at EzraGroup.com. All right, you've reached the end of another episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. Thanks for listening. But before you go, go to our website, azgroup.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage and sign up for our newsletter. Once a month, you'll receive an email chock full of wealth management, goodness, news, information, updates. You will not be disappointed. Thanks again for listening and talk to everyone again next time.